a little girl received a watch and some perfume for her birthday. And she was so proud of them because it made her feel so grown up. But all through the day, she pestered everyone to look at her watch. And she pestered them to, to smell the perfume or ask if they smelled anything. Finally, at dinner, Mom said, Honey, I know you're proud of your gifts, but please don't mention them while we eat. So throughout dinner, she never said a word. She just sniffed audibly and conspicuously lifted up her wrist and listened to her watch. Finally, at the end of the meal, she couldn't contain herself any longer, and she blurted out, If anybody hears anything or smells anything, it's me. (laughs) In Philippians chapter 4, we are introduced to two prominent leaders in the church in Philippi by the names of Yodia and Syntyche. They're beautiful names. Yodia means sweet fragrance or pleasant fragrance. And Syntyche means uh, fortunate. Uh, So they're great names, but sweet fragrance and fortunate can't get along. And their disagreement threatened the stability of the entire church. Their disagreement had reached the ears of the imprisoned Apostle Paul in Rome, and since it didn't smell right, since it wasn't so fortuitous, Paul felt like it was so serious that it had to be dealt with in this letter because the effectiveness and the witness of the entire church was at stake. And in telling the Philippian church how to deal with Yodia and Syntyche's disagreement, Paul also shows us as Grace Baptist Church. How do we deal with similar things? How do we maintain spiritual stability in our church and in our fellowship? He shows us the importance of being spiritually stable as a church. And we accomplish that by, as he's going to show us, agreeing in the Lord. Agreeing in the Lord. So we're going to be taking a close look this morning at what it means to agree in the Lord. Now what is surprising, it might even be shocking as we read this, is that these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, were not peripheral people in the church. They're, They're not your typical troublemakers. They're not those who are on the criticizing fringes of the church. They are not those known for their bad tempers or their wagging tongues or their constant complaint or for causing doctrinal disputes or their constant negative attitude. These are women, as Paul put it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, who he said, shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These were women who, were in, who in some way in Philippi had ministered alongside the Apostle Paul. Now, women played a prominent role in the church at Philippi from its very beginning. When Paul and his, command, his companions responded to the Macedonian call to come over and help us, a call from a man from Macedonia, he actually found women. <laughs> it was a woman from Macedonia. They had gone to Philippi, they looked for a synagogue as was their practice and their habit to to preach the gospel and teach in the synagogues on a Sabbath morning. They didn't find a synagogue and so they went down to the river on the Sabbath because the riverside was the traditional place of prayer in Judaism when a town didn't have a synagogue. And Acts chapter 16 told us that down by the river they found a group of women who were praying on the Sabbath. And Paul began to speak to these women, and a woman by the name of Lydia, a businesswoman who sold purple fabrics, responded to the gospel, and she was saved. The first convert 
in Europe. And she and all of her household were saved. And Lydia became the patron of Paul and his companions as they preached the gospel in Philippi. And she continued to be a faithful leader in the church at Philippi. In fact, at Philippi today, you can see these spectacular ancient ruins. I don't know if you guys like ancient architectural ruins like I do, but I, you know, I Google these things and look, oh, those are so cool. You know, someday I want to go to Ephesus. But, uh, but Philippi has these ancient ruins of what was a spectacular Christian church, and the church was named St. Lydia. It was named after Lydia, the, the first convert in Europe. And we wonder, were Yodia and Syntyche among those women who were at that riverside for prayer that morning? Well, we know that they were among the first converts. If they weren't first, that part of that first prayer meeting, they were some of the first converts in Philippi because Paul knew them personally. They'd ministered alongside of him, and he uses military language to say they stood shoulder to shoulder for the cause of the gospel, they, have st- they had strived together in the same struggle. These were women who were deeply committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were deeply committed to the church and to the ministries of the church. They were faithful believers in the Lord. And they were happy or would be happy to be counted in the company of other Christian leaders that are mentioned here, such as Lydia and Clement, who we see in this fourth chapter. And then in verse 3, it says, those whose names are written in the book of life, they were committed Christian leaders in the church. Now, we're not told what their particular disagreement is. We don't know whether it was ethical. We don't know whether it was a personal thing, a personality conflict. We don't know if it's ecclesiastical, had the way the church did its ministries. We don't know if it was doctrinal. It probably wasn't doctrinal, or, or Paul would have said, hey, here's <laughs> the word of the Lord on the matter, and, and would have gotten straightened it out. But it was sufficient enough for Paul to have to deal with it. It had spread like ripples in a pond, and its negative ripple effect could be felt as far away as the prison in Rome. The Philippians, as you know, faced many challenges. They were a persecuted church. They were a poor church. But Paul is reminding them that sometimes the greatest challenge can come from within. That our petty and peripheral concerns can divert us from the cause of Christ. That we are to stand firm. Only a united church can present a united front. That that disharmony within will lead to defeat without. It is harmony within that gives us the opportunity to display unity without. And that was what was being eroded in Philippi. So please turn once again to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2 in your Bible. Or what did I say that page was? 1437, if you're using the, the Bibles in the rack this morning. The fourth chapter of Philippians, verse 2. In dealing with the disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche, Paul shows us how to agree in the Lord, how to live in harmony. How to stand firm in the Lord. How to maintain our unity, our testimony, our effectiveness in the community. Verse 2 of Philippians chapter 4, he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now we're going to start at the end of verse 2 and work our our way backwards through that, that second verse. 
How do we agree in the Lord and enjoy the effectiveness and faithful testimony of spiritual stability? We agree in the Lord by first recognizing that we are indeed in the Lord. We are to live in harmony, be of the same mind, literally, in the Lord. Now that phrase, in the Lord, is crucial. We have to remember that as believers in Jesus Christ, that we are not our own. We belong to Jesus. Did you know as a believer, you don't belong to you? Now, in a, in, a, in a culture where we think it's all about me and it's all about what I own and what I have, we think, first of all, that I belong to me. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Paraphrase, you don't belong to you, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You belong to God. Jesus bought and paid for you with the price of his own blood as he hung on the cross. In other words, he owns you. We usually say that in a negative sense where somebody says, I own you. But in a loving sense, in a caring sense, Jesus owns us. You know, when I forget that I am not my own, when I forget that I belong exclusively to Jesus Christ as one of his, then I will very quickly begin to champion my own agenda. I will champion my own gifts, my own talents, my own resources. I will establish my own cause. I will advocate for my own rights. I will get on my own high horse. And I will dispute with anybody who doesn't agree with the fact that I have a legitimate agenda on the strength of who I am, on the strength of what I can do, and what I believe, and what I desire, and what I think is best, and everything else just going to have to deal with Everybody else just going to have to deal with that. When we belong to a Savior who never insisted on his own way, this is amazingly inconsistent for the Christian to think this way. If Jesus had insisted on his own way, we, there would be no Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, where Jesus emptied himself, where Jesus took the form of a servant, where he humbled himself by becoming obedient. If Jesus had insisted on his own way, there would be no cross, there'd be no forgiveness, there'd be no hope of heaven. We belong to one who never insisted upon his own way. And for us to insist on our own way is incompatible with being one of his. Yodia and Syntyche needed to recognize that they were in the Lord. And this is totally inconsistent to insist on their own way when the Lord never insisted on his. One of the interesting and even most disconcerting things about being both an architect and a pastor is that many architects that I have talked to will tell you that the hardest clients to work with are churches. The boards of hospitals, of industry, of business, and even school boards, imagine that, are easier to work with than some church boards. When it comes to the building, some church committees, not all of them, can't agree on hardly anything. The snail's pace decision-making process makes the whole project more expensive and greatly increases the work for everybody. It seems that sometimes everybody wants their own way and knows exactly how it's supposed to be. Of course, that's not true of every church. 
But it's true of enough congregations that the testimony of the church at large is being damaged in the professional community. Early in my architecture career, when I was a young architect and finally opened up my own office, I say finally, I was like 25 years old. I think back now and I go, boy, they must have thought it was Doogie Howser, MD behind the, the drafting board when they came into my office. But I, had, I was working with a particular church and one particular church building committee and we had this meeting that was particularly contentious. The chairman of the building committee finally stood up rolled the drawings he had prepared under his arm, and he started to walk out, and he threatened, if you don't do it my way, I'm going to take my money up to such and such church. And he named another church in town. I don't remember any more meetings after that particular one. We probably didn't have any more. This may not be unusual in practice, but sadly, it's not unusual in thinking. And it's not unusual in attitude. When it comes to the ministries of the church, when it comes to worship, people often think that way, even if they don't vocalize it that way. You know, each, each one of us in this regard need to have one preeminent thought when we come into this building or when we serve in the church. And that thought should be this. It's really pretty simply stated. It's not about me. It's, it's not about me. It's not about what I do. It's about what God does. And I pray that he would work through me, but it's not about me. If God could use a donkey when he talked to Balaam, I, I think he could use me if I was a willing instrument. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what, it, it's about what God wants. It, and get this one. It's not about meeting my needs. It's about how I serve others and serve God in meeting their needs. So first of all, in order to agree in the Lord, we must remember that we are in the Lord. And to insist on upon our own way is inconsistent with the Lord who never insisted on his. And secondly, in order to agree in the Lord, we must be of the same mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 again. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. The phrase translated live, live in harmony is literally be of the same mind. Have the same thinking on a matter. Now this doesn't mean that we get together sometime and we throw a bunch of ideas around and we come up with something that we can all agree on in ministry or how we're going to do church or whatever it is. I've often called this approach the sum total of our weaknesses <laughs> where we find what little we can agree on and then we think, we've discovered some kind of marvelous unity in that. Get a clue. That's the way our Congress works. That's not the way the church is supposed to work. And we all know how well it works in Congress. Paul has already told us several times what it means to be of the same mind, what this thinking is supposed to be. So if you want to turn back a page or two in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5. In the fifth verse of the second chapter, Paul has just commanded the Philippians to be of the same mind, to be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Then he says in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, have this attitude in yourselves. Have this thinking in yourself. Think this way, which is also was in Christ Jesus. This is also the way he thought. 
In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul tells us that as believers, we have the mind of Christ. We have the thinking of Christ. The key to harmony in the church is having the mind of Christ. Each one of us needs to develop the same thinking that Jesus has on the matter. To have his attitude, to have his thinking. We like to ask, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Here we're asking, what would Jesus think? And I'm not very good with acronyms or words. WWJT, I think. I think. Now, having the mind of Christ doesn't mean that we deny our own God-given gifts. It doesn't mean that we deny our God-given talents and what our calling and how he has called us to serve in ministry. It doesn't mean that we forsake our ministries and our callings. It does mean that as we serve in these capacities, that we have the same attitude, the same thinking in our ministry that Jesus had in his. That we have Christ's attitude when we minister to others and when we serve them. That we serve as he served. That we love as he loved. It means that we, if we back up a couple more verses in Philippians chapter 2 to verse 3, that we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. And what is the attitude that Christ had? What is the attitude that we are to have when I regard everyone else as more important than myself? Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest. That doesn't mean that I disregard my own personal interest. It doesn't mean that I have no thought for my needs or wants and enjoyments and ministries. But, but I also look out for the interests of others. Look out. There's that great word scopio again, which we get scope. I, I just love the Greek in, in Philippians. Scope. Look out. I scope out the interest of others. For example, if I have the mind of Christ, if I have the thinking of Christ, when I come in these doors on a Sunday morning, or when I go to a Bible study, or when I'm serving somebody in their home, or in the grocery store, or wherever it is, I come into this room on Sunday morning, and I scope you all out. I scope you out. Who is in need of love this morning? Who's in need of encouragement? Who is in need of ministry and care? Who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them right now? But we might ask, well, what about my needs? How am I going to meet my needs? How are my needs going to get met when I'm trying to meet everybody else's needs? You know, an amazing thing happens when everybody in the church is out to meet the needs of everybody else, not meeting their own needs, everybody gets their needs met, including me. Instead of just me trying to meet my needs, all of you are meeting my needs. The trouble with Yodia and Syndicate was that they had rotten attitudes. Their attitudes were wrong. And as long as their attitudes were wrong, they were damaging the church. And as long as they were in the Lord and still wanted their own way and didn't have the attitude of Christ, they would continue to sow dissension and disharmony in the church and harm the testimony and the effectiveness of the body of Christ. 
that there'd be damaging ripples emanating from their ministries and service, which were probably good ministries and good ways to serve, that would negatively affect everybody in the church. You know, the most important thing, when we serve, when we minister to others, when we lead, is that our attitudes are right. Do we express the joy of the Lord in our service when we minister, when we serve? We're going to get to that one next week. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Sometimes we think that Paul's just taking a shotgun approach to all these things he lists at the end of Philippians. You know, Just one simple line, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But what Paul is saying, that it has to do with our attitude, our thinking. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and it makes for pretty miserable worship and service when we try to do it in our own strength. Do we love as Jesus loved? I mean, do we really love people? Are we really concerned about their needs and concern? So in the second verse of Philippians 4, I've been working backwards in the text. In order to agree in the Lord, at the end of the verse, we must recognize that we are in the Lord. We belong to him. We are to champion his causes, not our own. We are to be of the same mind. We are to have the attitude of Christ to express his joy, his love, his service, sacrificially. Now I want us to look at the first two words of Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. In the translation I'm using on page 1437, the word is, I urge. I urge. So this brings us to our second main point. In order to agree in the Lord, we must submit to the instruction of the Lord. These disputing women needed to recognize that they were in the Lord and they needed to submit to the instruction of the Lord as it was coming to them from the apostle and is now coming to us through the scriptures. That Greek word for urge is a great word. You'll be familiar with it. It's parakaleo. Does that sound familiar? The noun form is parakletos, from which we get uh, the comforter. It refers to the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Paul says, in effect, I come alongside you to help you, to counsel you, to encourage you. I urge you. And the amazing thing is here, that Paul comes alongside, the same way the Holy Spirit would come alongside us to encourage us in an amazingly gentle way. As serious as, serious as the disharmony was, as detrimental it was, as it were, to the church, there's really no rebuke here. He urges them to follow his apostolic admonition, which is to recognize that they are in the Lord and that they should have the same mind as the Lord. But Paul takes it a step further. He recognizes that Yodia and Syntyche can't do this on their own. And so they must accept the help of others. Verse 3 of Philippians chapter 4, in his letter, Paul now speaks directly to someone he calls the true companion. We don't know who this true companion is, uh, John MacArthur says, in the Greek, it's sujukikos or something like that. So he says it's a name. It could be uh, the guy's name. He says, indeed, true companion. He's speaking directly to this man. I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, names 
another name also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul asked this true companion, we really don't know who he is, along with someone named Clement, along with the rest of the fellow workers, to help these women. Now, the word translated help here is another amazing word. It's not the word parakletos that we just looked at, the encourager, the helper. This word is sulambano. comes from the Greek word lambano, which means to take a hold of, to seize. And then it's, it's, has, it's, as a prefix, it has sul, S-U-L. Sulambano, sul means here along with or together. All of you, true companion, Clement, and the rest of the fellow workers, together get a hold of these women. Now, twice in the New Testament, Sulambano is translated as arrest. It was used of the arrest of Jesus. It was used of the arrest of the apostle Peter. Now you're thinking, that doesn't sound too encouraging to me. Now, Paul is not advocating the arrest of these women, but he's saying to the Philippians that getting them help is going to take all of you together getting a hold of them. And we might ask, why is that? It's because Christians who are into themselves into their own desires, into their own ministries, into their own problems, who are causing problems in the church, will resist the help and the counsel of fellow believers, sometimes at all costs. The blind spots can become so large that they even come to believe that they're the only ones who have gotten it right. Everybody else is wrong. Nobody else really understands me. When I worked in the engineer's office in Elko, Nevada, there was a builder who would come into the map room on occasion. And he would say, do you ever feel like that guy on Green Acres where everybody's crazy but you? <laughs> I've had days like that. I say that around our house once in a while. But as soon as we feel like we don't need the help and the counsel of mature fellow believers, we have crossed into some acreage that is far from green. It's going to be bleak, it's going to be dark, it's going to be depressing, and everything's going to center around our own problems. The Bible commands that we who are strong, Romans 15:1, are to bear with the struggles of those who are weak and to not please ourselves. In Galatians it says we are to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You know, in the New Testament there's over, well, almost 60 one another passages, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, bear with one another, bear one another's burdens. Actually, there's 59 verses that refer to this. Testify to our need to help, to comfort, to love, to counsel one another. This speaks directly to our need to be helped, to be comforted, to be encouraged, and to receive biblical counsel from one another. And at Philippi, the need was so great concerning the disharmony caused by Yodia and Syntyche that Paul called on every fellow worker in the church to come alongside them. This was all hands on deck when it came to helping these women so the church could stand firm in the Lord so it would be spiritually 
of being a spiritually stable church. I was thinking this week, I wonder what that looked like when whoever was reading this letter to the Philippians got to the fourth chapter, the 23rd verse, the last verse, and said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. How did the church as a whole respond to that encouragement? Let, let's get a hold of them. Let's get a hold of this. They would have done it gently. They would have done it with respect. The New Testament commands, according to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. That's the temptation on the other side. Well, I would never allow myself to fall into that. You know, I, I'm higher than that. I, I've got it more together, so I'm going to help this person. Don't ever try to help somebody if you think you have it more together because you're being tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Reading these few words about Yodi and Syntyche in Philippians leaves us hungry for more details. Like Paul Harvey, we want to know the rest of the story. <laughs> Did they resolve their disagreement? To do so, each of these women would have needed to see the other person, the other woman, and the other woman's ministry as more important than her own. They both would have had to swallow human pride and take positive steps to reconcile. And how do you do that? By following Christ's example of humility and selflessness, by allowing Christ to live that same selfless life in them through the indwelling Spirit of God? Did they ever get it together? We have some indirect historical evidence that perhaps they did reconcile. Early in the second century, the church at Philippi wrote a letter to a church leader by the name of Polycarp. Eventually, Polycarp was martyred for his faith, and the ancient document, the martyrdom of Polycarp, is just an amazing, wonderful thing to read. But uh, he was a bishop. They wrote to Polycarp, and they asked about another pastor who had been arrested and taken to Rome, and so they were concerned about this other pastor. Now, we don't have the letter the Philippians wrote to Polycarp, but we do have Polycarp's letter that he wrote back to the Philippians. And Polycarp commended the congregation in Philippi, writing that they, quote, have followed the example of true love and helped on their way as opportunity offered those who had been bound in chains. And then he adds, I rejoice also that your firmly rooted faith your firmly rooted faith, renowned since early days, endures to the present and produces fruit for our Lord Jesus Christ. This has been 75 or 80 years later. These words could only be spoken about a congregation that somehow had developed and maintained godly unity. These words about firmly rooted faith can only be spoken to a congregation that was standing firm in the Lord, was spiritually stable, and was spiritually effective in their community. Can we conclude, therefore, that uh, Yodi and Syndicate resolved their differences? The answer is lost to history, but perhaps Polycarp's letter gives us some indirect reassurance that they did. I wonder what's going to be written about our church years down the line. 
There won't be a bishop named Polycarp. What a strange name. I always think of fish. I haven't grown up in Idaho. <laughs> Poly means all different kinds. All different kinds of carp. You know, so that's what's right. But boy, what a godly great man Christian he was. But, but I wonder, what's going to be written about our church years down the line? Will we be known for bearing the fruit of spiritual stability? Will we be known for our love for one another? Will we be known as those who agree in the Lord? And we will if we follow Paul's admonition and recognize that we are in the Lord. We belong to him. If we submit ourselves to the instruction of the Lord as we have been doing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and if we accept the help, if each one of us accept the help of fellow believers who can come alongside and help us when we can't help ourselves. Shall we pray? Father, as I've mentioned before, I can't even imagine my name being written down in holy writ, preserved for all time and eternity as somebody who needs to get something worked out. Father, I thank you for your graciousness, your love, your kindness, even as you have presented Euodia and Syntyche in your word this morning, Father. And I pray that uh, those things that would get in the way of our reconciling with a brother or sister in Christ, get in the way of where our pride or our self-centeredness or it's about me gets in the way of, of uh, what you have for us as a church, Father. I just pray that through the encouragement of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of, of your word and the encouragement of fellow believers, Father, we might be known in our community as Grace Baptist Church. Those are people who agree in the Lord. Oh, what a tremendous thing. Father, even if we don't put something like on our sign, like that on our sign, which might be kind of a prideful thing to say, we agree in the Lord. <laughs> as soon as we do that, we've disagreed. Father, I just pray that, uh, that it would be something of our hearts, our minds, the spirit of our church. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.